Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome into the first episode of 4-6 to with A&B, your Ohio State podcast here on The Athletic. This is Bill Landis. I'm here with Ari Wasserman. Ari, we're doing it. We've been asked for like a year. No, when did I start? I started in October. Yeah. And immediately after I started, people were like, when's the podcast? Because no one cares about what we write. They just want to hear us talk. Which is ass. crazy to me. I don't know who would ever want to hear me talk. Sometimes you're okay. Yeah. I guess I'm all right sometimes. We're in Landis's uh, living room, so it's some nice hangout time. Or is this home office? Excuse me. We got home office. Yeah. SEC football on YouTube going. I, th- I think we're ready to roll. I get the 2018 uh, LSU Georgia game on my TV in here because I'm waiting for Justin Fields to come to the game so I can... Uh, Make some points about that later on. Um, so this is our debut show. Um, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to do it twice a week. This is coming to you on a Tuesday as part of the Athletics sort of major college football rollout. Moving forward, uh, you'll, you'll hear from us on Mondays. Um, and we'll have shows on Fridays as well. Our Monday show moving forward will be available on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. So please subscribe there, rate and review. We'd really appreciate it. Friday shows will be subscriber only on the athletic app. So if you're not subscribed there, you can get subscribed by going to theathletic.com backslash four to six. That's four dash six. You can get 40% off if you go to that link and then you'll have every show. You can get everything you want in the athletic app and never miss anything that Ari and I talk about when it comes to Ohio State. Later on in this first episode, Ari's got some takes on Justin Fields. But first, we're going to talk about Ryan Day, year one. Opener on Saturday against Florida Atlantic. We want to talk about fair and realistic expectations for Ryan Day this year. What's the over-under for losses for Ohio State? Ten and a half? Seeing ten, ten and a half. That sounds about right to me, but you'll see some nine and three. You'll see 12 and 0. Urban Meyer, he's on TV now. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He's got Ohio State in the playoff. I think expectations are kind of all over the place. 
and I guess I'll just ask you sort of broadly, Ari, like what 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 makes sense for you in Ryan Day's first season at Ohio State? What should be sort of the bare minimum expectation for him in his first season? Um, you know, it's just it's interesting because there's a fine line between rational expectations and real ones. Um, and I think rational expectation should be ten and two. I think it's a tough schedule. There's some pockets in the schedule in every month that are tricky. I think they play six games they could reasonably lose, which is more than they usually do. Um, you have some teams in the West like Nebraska who are supposed to be a lot better than they've been in the past. I think reasonable expectations, a 10-win season, competing for a Big Ten championship, and just um, just what, it's, what, what you're supposed to see from an Ohio State team competing at the highest level. doesn't mean winning every game. They've lost um, some really bad ones in the last few years with the greatest coach or one of the greatest coaches of all time. But I, I just can't shake the feeling that people um, love Ryan Day right now but will drive themselves nuts if they lose two games. So that's when you get to the irrational um, viewpoint, and that's playoff or bust. And I think that should be the standard of this program. I think that's what they're paying him for. Um, but I don't know if you could just say, hey, this guy's on the hot seat after not making the playoff in, one, in, in his first year. Well, no, I agree with that. I, I don't, he's not – I mean – They'd have to go like 0-12, I think, for Ryan Day to be on the hot seat. I don't know if that's – I would hope that nobody nobody expects that he'll find himself in a position where Gene Smith has to reassess his decision to make him the head football coach. It's not going to happen this year. But you said you said playoff or bust, which I, th- I think is is true. That's where Urban Meyer has taken Ohio State to. I think and until they show there's something different, that should be the standard that they get held to. So I guess you say 10-2. and two. I think 10-2 and two should be a reasonable – expectation for what is most likely to happen this year. But that was not the case for the previous seven years. So that so that would be a change in what the expectations would be, right? Yeah, well, to me, if you remove one of the greatest coaches of all time and a quarterback who got picked in the top 15, that is a change. Now, Ohio State's a reload program, and to me, my expectations of a successful season, I wrote this in Final Thoughts a few weeks ago, success to me is 11-1. and one. Failure is 10-2. and two. Expectations, reasonable are to win 10 games. I think that's the lowest bar that you can set for a reasonable expectation. Am I like making a, no, a fine? Am I like confusing? No, 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 I don't think so. I think, I think I'm, I think I agree with that for the most part. I, I think if Ohio state were to go 10 and two this year and I get like 10 and two can be different things. It could be 10 and two and you still make the big 10 championship. Like they did two years ago. It can be 10 and two. You don't make the big 10 championship and you're playing in I don't, maybe the orange bowl or maybe even the outback bowl. Um, I think 10 and two with the new year's six bowl of, of, some variety if it's not a playoff i think most people would be pretty okay with that um nine and three is i think is drastically different i think the response to nine and three i think nine and three would be like yeah not quite world on fire because that's a little dramatic um but i think if i think you could push it to that the thing about it is like it does feel somewhat realistic with the schedule we're going to give you guys our our predictions uh later in this episode of what we think ohio state's final record is going to be and whether or not we think they're going to go to the college football playoff but I think if Ohio State were to go nine and three, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility with the schedule you laid it out. They have probably six games you can look at and realistically say, you know, they could lose this game. Um, at least like four, four of those kind of games on this schedule. It's not it's not And they kind of stack up against each other. Yeah, too. yeah, especially at the end of the year with, with Penn State and Michigan back to back. Um it's not it's not if you were to say to me at any point in the last four years, Ohio State has a realistic chance of going nine and three, I think you were pretty crazy. I think there is a world where they go nine and three this year, and it's sort of largely tied to the quarterback play. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But even even though that is more realistic given the schedule and given sort of where things are at important positions and the fact that they have a new head coach, 
I still think nine and three would be pretty bad, and I think there would be a lot of people upset about that. Nine and three means that Ohio State lost half of their games that against competitive opponents, and to me, that is not where Ohio State should be. And I think ten and two is a, I think would be a failure. I think if you ask Ryan Day, is ten and two a failure? Even though he won't speak into the future, I think he would know in his heart of hearts that that's not what this program is. And I think last year Ohio State basically went ten and two. That's what a ten and two team looks like. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they lost to Maryland. Been t- <laughs> I don't care what anybody the says. Pa- the pass was for me to you. Yeah, 10 and, two. <laughs> they, and that's what and that's what a ten and two team looks like. A, a fractured defense, um, a team that goes on the road and loses to Purdue by a hundred, and a team that almost loses to Maryland on the road, and then you know has a pretty successful year when it's all said and done. Won the Rose Bowl, beat a solid team from the Pac twelve, but did anybody feel satisfied by that last year? I don't think that they did. And that's the the program standard that Urban Meyer created, and I think Ryan Day would take it as a personal insult if you said, "Hey, that's not the standard anymore because that's you're the head coach now." So nine and three. Do they play one team on their schedule in the regular season that has as much talent on their roster? No. So that's the other part of this, and I, that I wanted to make sure I mentioned. Um, Bud Elliott, who works for uh, SB Nation, I believe their site's called Banner Society. Now he he put out a blue chip ratio. He does it every year. And his blue chip ratio this year has Ohio State as the most talented team in the country with 81% of its roster made up of four- and five-star prospects, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the highest percentage that he's had. I could be wrong on that, but it's certainly the highest this year, higher than Alabama, higher than Clemson. They are are the most talented team in the country. And with that makeup, then, what does that mean, then? If you lose three games, what's the reason for that? Well, that factors heavily into my belief that I would almost consider 10-2 and to be – not great. Yeah. I mean, my personal thing, and I don't know if I made that clear at the beginning, reasonable expectations from fans, I think 10-2. and two. But I think if they don't make the playoff this year, then Ryan Day failed in his first season. I Yeah. Is yeah. Then, and I know like that's yeah. a kind of shocking, right? Like you almost jolted a little bit when I said that, and it's just like – It just seems – it just feels like in a, in a vacuum, it sort of feels like an irrational thing to say. But when you take a step back and consider like what he took over – and the responsibility he, he assumes in, in taking that job and the money he's getting paid as a first-time head coach, is he's getting paid four and a half, four and a half million, million a dollars a year as a first-time head coach, which is absurd. That's crazy money for a first-time head coach. Even when in you the get to this position, when you get to this position, you're supposed to build up to this position. You yep. know, coach smaller programs where the where the standard might be, you know, eight and four, you know, that's a huge year. Go up to the next rung, and then when you get to the big time, this is what it is. And he went right to the big time, and I think that he – if he is the coach that we think he is, I, I think that he accepts that. So, yeah, so and then too. like that's why it was so easy in the past. People used to say, you know, uh, during playoff conversations and, and stories I used to write about how like harsh or how crazy I am in terms of holding this team to a high standard. But the only thing that I've ever really done journalistically or tried to do is hold the team to the fair standard that Urban Meyer held them to. And I think that that standard should be the same. Different coach, young guy, supposed to be a star. Um, you know, has recruited really well, which is the other part. I think that's 80% of the job. He's already exceedingly, um, you know, expectations are have been exceeded on that front, which I'm sure we'll talk about at, at, at length in the, in the future. Um, and the roster just has better players than every team that they play. And I know that it's just football and upsets, and it's kind of hard to get up every week for, for inferior opponents and things happen. But in this game, in my opinion, College football, the teams that are the best have the best players. And if Ohio State has by far the best players in the Big Ten, which is a fact, it's not It's not just us saying that. It's It's based on ratings and based on the way this team has recruited for the past seven, eight years. 
losing three games to me would be like off the rails because I can't even pick what three that they would be. Well, the, you, you mentioned that the six games on the schedule they could actually lose. So like at Nebraska, Wisconsin at home, Michigan State at home, they end the season back-to-back Penn State at home and at Michigan. So that's five games. And then I think you could – some people might want to throw Cincinnati in there. I wouldn't. I think that's going to be a, an interesting game and, and potentially a tough game, but I don't, I don't have that circled as like a potential loss for Ohio State. And the other, the other one I think that you would put in there is at Northwestern. I think it's on October 19th. It's on a Friday night. Yeah. That's kind of a weird game too. The grass so is going to be long. The grass feet. is going to be, be four feet long. And, <laughs> yeah. And then the, here's the thing that everybody likes to like jump into. So let me just stop you right now. What about that game on the schedule that nobody sees coming? What about that Purdue game? What about that Iowa game? I just well, don't know that game ex- exists this year. I know. Well, the game's not supposed to exist. It never existed before the previous two seasons, so why would we start taking that into account now? Those last two losses were some of the most inexplicable losses in Ohio State history, and I still don't know how they happened. That Iowa loss, I guess, was a matchup, tight ends, things, and I guess Ohio State might have taken their foot off the pedal in terms of competitive nature at the end of those games that made the score seem a little bit more lopsided. But if you go back and look at Ohio State's wins and losses for the past 20 years, or my uh, my lifetime as a person who paid attention and, and understood sports, Ohio State hasn't been upset or lost that badly to the teams with that much talent ever. So I'm never going to continue. I mean, the whole point of this is to try to avoid that, right? They got a new defensive staff when Ryan Day was hired. Um, and those things aren't supposed to happen, and they're not supposed to be expected. They're supposed to be shocking. And they were shocking the last two years. So if it happens again this year, A, that's a huge red flag in my opinion. And B, it's supposed to be shocking. Ohio State did not, does not lose to a team like Indiana. So I'm not going to – I don't care where it lands on the schedule. They're just that much better. That game gets weird sometimes, though, and it's early in yeah, the Yeah, no, I know. I know. Games yeah. get weird all the time, and close games happen, and you can see it from every great team in every conference. It's hard to get up and play at the best of your abilities or to respect your opponents or all the things that you hear on cliche uh, coach transcripts. <laughs> but it's just – not supposed to happen. And it and if Ohio State loses to Nebraska and they lose to Michigan or Penn State and another variation of those four games, I guess you can swallow that. But if they end up losing another game that they're not supposed to by a large margin, there has to be an identification of why that continues to happen because it's not supposed to. So I have a theory on, on those kind of games, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. And this, I guess this really only kind of matters or makes sense for the, the Iowa loss two years ago. So the Iowa loss came after they beat Penn State. Yeah. Here in Columbus, it was a crazy comeback. They won in the fourth quarter. JT Barrett played out of his mind. Last year, the Purdue game was, I think, three games after that, that Penn State game, which is also a crazy game. They, but they had two, two sort of a buffer between that Penn State game and the Purdue game last year. So maybe this doesn't really count for what I'm about to say. But I, I do wonder with Ryan Day, I think a very fair question about Ryan Day and something we don't quite know yet is whether or not he will have his team prepared for the biggest of moments, the way that Urban Meyer more often than not had his team prepared to, to go out and win, win important games or – have his team carry itself in a way that that it's not out of it, even if it's losing in important games. We saw some of the comebacks the last couple of years. Um, I think it's a fair question about Ryan Day. I thought he showed a little bit of that against TCU last year. TCU ended up not being great, but going into that, that was a sort of a major moment for him, and he didn't really seem to be faced. And I was texting it. you when I, I we watched that game in a hotel room um, a few weeks ago, and yeah. I thought they – not to interrupt you, but TCU looked a lot better in that game than they ended up being. Ended up being that year, yeah. yeah. My point my point is, like, if you want to – that's the closest thing we have to sort of examine whether or not Ryan Day is going to be consumed by the moment. I don't think he will. But be. what happened? What happened in those games? In the Purdue game, in the Iowa well, game? Well, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. So – and it's more about the Iowa game. I wonder, like, Urban Meyer is so high-strung and is so good at 
creating a level of intensity that makes you afraid to lose a game like the Penn State game. Even when you're down by as much as you're down, you still find a way to come back and win because your head coach is a maniac, and I mean that in a good way, in terms of getting you prepared to go win games like that. And then the next week, it's just not the same kind of game. And I know like I'm not, it's like a letdown game or whatever is cliche, yeah. but like Urban Meyer, I think, had that building walking on eggshells going into the Penn State game, and like they responded the right way they had to respond. And then the next week, it just wasn't the same thing. Well, I think it, I think it was borderline impossible to not come out flat in that Iowa game based on what they had to do beating Penn State. And, and I just wonder if Ryan Day has is more even keeled that, yeah, he's going to get you prepared for a big game. Of course, the Michigan game is going to be more. The Penn State game is going to be more. But I don't think Ryan Day himself personally is going to change in a way that changes your demeanor week to week. And I, I, I guess that's my way of saying that I think Ryan Day will have his guys more emotionally ready week to week than Urban Meyer did. There won't be as many peaks and valleys as there were under Urban. Well, I want to add. So I went to um, Fort Lauderdale. Um, nice. Just that's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, to report that big story I wrote before the draft on Terry McLaurin, because that's where he was working out. And I spent a few days with him, and I was sitting at the pool with him uh, out this town place suites, Marriott inland, no beach view. Um, and I asked him like, what, what the hell happened? Like just, and I said it like that, like, what, can you just explain this to me? And then we're talking about the Iowa game. And he said, listen, man, we go every week into that building trying to prepare. Like we're playing the Super Bowl on Saturday. And he said, but after the emotional win at Penn State, we came in on Sunday and we celebrated. And then we came in on Monday and we celebrated. And then on Tuesday, we were celebrating and we never turned the switch to the next Super Bowl. And I believe that that is a mental, that's a mental thing. I think that's natural human nature to win and, and to go against opponents. And the one thing I will say is I think that the Iowa game and the Penn State, or the Iowa game and the, excuse me, the Purdue game were much different types of games but they're both kind of lumped into the same category. And the thing that I don't understand about the Iowa game, and I never will, and maybe you want to say they gave up at the end, is Ohio State has lost and has been upset by teams like Iowa throughout the history of the team. Yeah. That happens. It is getting your ass kicked. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. Back and, it, yeah. and like to by and, and if you had to like lump them all together, both those rosters, both years. How many players on either team would start on Ohio State's roster? Five total, maybe. Maybe. That yeah. jewel linebacker from Iowa. Yeah, probably a couple offensive linemen. A couple offensive linemen. Rondell Moore. Yeah. Rondell Moore, the kid that they didn't have room for in the recruiting class. Yeah. And that's it. So Tight it's ends, like, yeah. and, and since football is such a physical game, I cannot wrap my mind around getting your ass kicked. And the reason why they weren't in the playoff last year isn't because they lost, it's because they got their ass kicked. And the year before that, they might have had a better chance. I know that they were two lost team two years ago, yeah. but there might have been a way in there if they didn't get their ass kicked. So to me, I think Ohio State could lose a game, and we'll get to this later. And Ohio State can still get to the playoff, but it is what is the root cause of those losses? Is it poor defensive scheme? Is it bad coaching? It's not talent, so it has to be coaching. Mm -hmm. And if you have alleviated all of those perceived issues in terms of the personnel or the the coaching personnel and you replace them with guys that you trust, those should – maybe they'll lose a game they shouldn't. It hadn't happened. It never happened under Trestle. They never lost a game like that. And they never lost a game like that for five years in the first five years of Urban Meyer's tenure. So 
that needs to be fixed if they want to have any chance in hell in, in having a successful season. Because one loss like that ruins a whole year, as we found out last year. Yeah, I'll say this is like sort of a last point, and we'll move on. Um, I, I think when it comes to those kind of games, like like they're going to lose. They're not going to Ryan. If anyone thinks Ryan Day is going to go twelve and zero every year, like sorry, it's not going to happen. I think eleven and one, winning the Big Ten, being the playoff conversation, that's, that's realistic. That's the standard he should be held to. But I do think when it comes to these slip ups that we're talking about, these landmine kind of games, um, I think that Urban Meyer. Sometimes, and like who could blame him because he's always had the most talented team, especially when he's playing against Big Ten teams. I think sometimes you can just sort of rely on we're better than them. So like whatever, we'll just go out and we'll run them over. That's always been enough for the most part. I don't think Ryan Day is going to operate that way, even if it's true almost every week. We just said Ohio State is the most talented team in the country. I think Ryan Day is a schemer. I think Kevin Wilson's a schemer. I think Mike Yersich is a schemer. I think the guys he hired on defense are schemers, and I think they're going to change week to week. They're going to put real game plans in to try to beat these teams, even if they're playing Indiana or Rutgers or Maryland. And that's been that way and for like can six just years, run man. These teams over. Like Ohio State, just as we are, what we are, they never seem to be that creative. And like it's like the thing, the example that we always go back to is how does Ohio State's offense replicate what Oklahoma did in the horseshoe with Baker Mayfield two years ago? Get people moving behind the snap, do things, wrinkles that you haven't seen all year, and pop big plays on guys when they're not expecting that. And it's like talent is enough to win 95% of your games, but if you combine elite-level scheming with elite-level talent, I can't imagine them ever losing to a team like Purdue ever again. So we feel pretty good about the coach. Let's talk about the quarterbacks or quarterback. I guess I should say this is gonna, this is the hot sec. This is this is what we like to call the hot segment. Yeah. So we Ari and I did like a test run of this um, maybe a week or two ago, just to m- mostly see if the sound was good. So hopefully it is. Um, and I said something to him, and then we started talking about it. And we had to stop because it was like too good. And we wanted to save it for when we actually had a real podcast going. And the thing I said to him was like an observation I've made. But just, you know, he and I talking to each other, talking with other people over the last few weeks. Some of the things I've written. Some of the things he's written. Uh, and I said to him, and I'll say it again now, He Ari is very much like um, Mr. Five Stars. I, I don't want that nickname to stick for you, but very much in favor of talent, 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 talent. It's all that matters, talent. Five-star talent. I will say this to give you a, a good idea. I think 85% of a head coaching job in college football is about the uh, accumulation of talent. Right. So with that being said, that's on the table now. Ohio State has, playing quarterback for it this year, a five-star prospect out of the state of Georgia, who was a number two player in the class of 2018. And that was sort of like a 1A and 1B thing with he and Trevor Lawrence in that recruiting class. Some people think Justin Fields might have been the best quarterback prospect in like the last five or six years. I think he's the number eight overall rated player in 24-7 history, right? Is yes. that a made-up stat, or is yes. that really what it is? Something like that. I don't yeah, know. Like Who cares? Top he's 10 re- player of all time. He's, really, he's a very highly rated prospect, and Ari loves very highly rated prospects. But my man's has some Justin Fields doubts. So let's get him on the table where you're at on Justin Fields and why you're going against your natural inclination to be Mr. Five Star. Before people grab their steering wheels really tight and start veering towards <laughs> the railing on the side of the highway, let me just say this. I think he's going to put up a huge amount of yards and stats and points. I think Ohio State's going to win the majority of their games uh, a lot by a lot of points, and I think that the offense is going to move. But what I don't think is that he is going to be at the level, at least this year, that we were accustomed to seeing with some of the better quarterbacks who have played at Ohio State during my time on the beat. And I don't know what it is um, about. I I think he's going to run the ball 11 to 15 times a game. I think he's going to open up the running game because of his threat as a runner, and I think it's going to look more like the old JT offenses of the past. 
Um, what I cannot wrap my mind around is if he is a generational talent, the type of kid that cannot be kept off the field, the type of kid that can change a program, the type of kid who would be ranked as the number eight overall prospect in 247 history for the past 20 or 25 years, how on earth Georgia wouldn't do everything in their power to keep this kid on their roster? Even playing him for full halves and games that they, they had won, giving him packages, doing anything to make him feel involved. Because if I were a head coach, and we're going to just talk specifically only about Justin Fields' value as an athlete, how on earth could you possibly let him go? And then we watched him in the spring, and I didn't think he looked that great as a passer. And, of course, there's the caveat. He's been on campus for two weeks. What is, what is he going to know right now? And I think yeah. that's fair. And, you know, we saw a very limited amount of, of practice in the fall. So, like, to me, when I say I don't think he's going to be as good as people think, that's because people think he's going to be like Michael Vick and John Elway combined. That sounds and, pretty good. You know, yeah. and it's just like that's not what it is. I think he's going to be like a really good player. I think he's going to be solid. I think the Ohio State's offense is going to be good. But I don't know if I would rather have him than Dwayne Haskins. Or I don't know if I'd rather have him than any of the other great quarterbacks that Ohio State's had. He's got to prove that to me first. Yeah. And I think that the expectations are way out of whack only because of individual profiles. And one other thing, or individual recruiting profile, and one other thing, I am Mr. Five Star. I do care about what players are rated. But that, to me, is about the cumulative sum of the athletes. I never say this guy is going to be the best player on the team because he was rated the highest. So don't get that confused. I just think if Ohio State signs 20 high-end four-star kids and five five-star kids, that the roster itself is built up with, with players where if you miss, you have more of a safety net. Does that make sense? So yeah. I don't want people to think yeah. that if the kid's rated high, then I think he should start at every position. But... I also don't know if I'm giving Justin Fields enough credit as a pure athlete. So you can tell me I'm an idiot now. No, it's not. I don't, I don't think you're an idiot. I, I think the conversation is interesting because I think people would feel I, – I don't sense that Justin Fields is getting pumped up a lot. I do sense that he's like getting negged a little too much, and I wonder if people would view him differently – if Ohio State had just recruited him. I think they would, for sure. So why? Absolutely. Because like, people I understand, perceive I understand that, that he's, he's left the program that he was at because he yeah. couldn't win a job. And anytime you go anywhere, whether it's to or from Ohio State, that fan base views it that way. And then the fan base that he left, and, and plus there's a million Georgia fans commenting on any story uh, with Justin Fields' name in the headline, which also kind of makes you feel that way. But listen, yeah. I covered Terrell Pryor. That was like my first year uh, on the beat. And that guy, when we talk about pure athleticism and the way that we talk about Justin Fields being just a freak athlete, he's not Terrell Pryor in terms of physical athlete. He's a pretty freaky athlete, dude. I mean, Terrell Pryor was like one half step below LeBron, in my opinion. Jeez. Like the way that that guy was built, what was he, 6'6", 225 or whatever, and he could run people over. He couldn't throw for shit, but like he's not... <laughs> Like, Terrell Pryor could play any sport he wanted to play and make it in the pros because he's that athletic. Like, if Le if Terrell Pryor wanted to play in the NBA, I think he could have made it to the NBA. What was the, what was the thing? Can we say this about the thing with Dwayne Haskins playing basketball? Yeah. That the scout told you? Oh, I don't know. I guess uh, <laughs> I guess we have to now, huh? Um, I just thought it was funny. Oh, yeah. The scout told me that when they – the NFL scout, when I was doing some reporting, um, told me that when they're drafting a quarterback, they're looking for a guy – who doesn't look out of place playing other sports because of their athletic ability. 
And I think we said Haskins would look out of place on a basketball court. I can't remember the exact verbiage. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something basically like Dwayne Haskins wouldn't be a bad, bad wouldn't be a good basketball player. Therefore, he's somehow not as good of a quarterback as everyone thinks he is, which is crazy. Well, I mean, in fairness, like Urban, like literally stood up in front of the media every week and like would raise his hand to the heavens anytime somebody played dodgeball good in high school. So, no, that's true. Like yeah. I mean, like it is a thing. I think it's a pretty no. no of course, I and mean, you look at some of the quarterbacks that are in the NFL now, like they're crazy athletes, like Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. Are all so, like, athletes. would you put him in the same category as Terrell Pryor? Justin Fields is six foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds. Runs a sub four five forty yard dash. Can throw the football a mile. Yeah, he's a pretty freaky athlete. I think he's a pretty good baseball player. And I know baseball doesn't necessarily yeah. quite the good athleticism, but like he plays other sports. Um, I guess has the hand eye coordination to be a good so baseball then do you, player. Do you view this as like a huge? Missed opportunity for Kirby Smart. Like, do you think he mismanaged Georgia's roster because of it? No. Is that too? Are we allowed to talk about Georgia? We don't cover Georgia. But yeah, like that's it, the thing. Like, I'm not a, I'm a, like certainly not a Georgia expert. So I don't know. Like, if, from what I was able to observe, like looking through some numbers, watching some games, reading some of the stuff that Kirby Smart said, it just never struck me as he was going to bench Jake Fromm. Sort of no matter how bad Jake Fromm was, he wasn't very good in this LSU Georgia game I have on right now, and people were calling for a quarterback change after that. He never did it. It seemed like whatever he got Justin Fields into the game, and he did it some sometimes. It wasn't just garbage time. Um, it was mostly to run. He didn't give him much of a chance to throw, and, and maybe he's not super advanced as a thrower. He's not Dwayne Haskins level with throwing the football. I'm not saying that. He's not going to be that this year. Um, but he's not. A, I don't think he's a bad thrower. I think he's got a really good arm. He's going to learn touch, and he's going to learn how to make progressions and all that stuff. He's a true sophomore. It'll happen. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to tell you that Kirby Smart screwed up by not finding a way to make Justin Fields feel wanted and stay. It was probably uh, just the second he named Jake Fromm the starter, Justin Fields was probably gone. He went there thinking he was going to win the job. He didn't win it, so he went through the year hoping something would change. It didn't change, and he was gone. Like, whatever. He he took a risk he, that he was going to beat Fromm. He didn't beat him. I don't know that Kirby Smart handled that poorly. Jake Fromm's really good. He's going to get drafted next year. Dane Brugler has him as a top 50 draft prospect. It's not like he didn't, it's not like Fields didn't beat out a good quarterback. No, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't I think, think the transfer in general is part of the reason why you feel the way you do. I don't think Smart made a mistake at all. I think he's picked this guy and he stuck with him, and George has been good, and I think they're going to be good this year. This is a terrible analogy. Okay. Or a terrible comparison. But when Terrell Pryor came to Ohio State, he was not the starter. And. As we all know, Jim Trussell had a pretty crazy relationship with him that led to the downfall of his tenure here. But Terrell Pryor wasn't going anywhere. And granted, Todd Beckman was not Jake Fromm. But Ohio State did what they could in their power to make sure that that freak athlete was on the team for his entire career. And it's like there are ways to do things and that doesn't involve benching Jake Fromm because this everybody thinks Georgia's going to win the national championship this year or be in the championship hunt with Fromm. But do something to let that kid know that this future is his. Because if your whole argument is this guy is going to be awesome because of all been, of his men. Because he would have had to wait two years. I think, it was, I think it was impossible to do that. Unless you're going to play a two-quarterback system and no one wants to play that. I just don't, I think there was no scenario where he could do that short of benching Fromm and playing fields. Yeah, well. I don't think it was possible. I mean, the whole thing is – if, you're, if your whole thing is this guy is a freak athlete and you list out his measurables and say this is somebody that just physically can do it, I buy that. But it's also, and maybe I'm part of the transfer situation in terms of how to view it, but I also cannot imagine how somebody like that could be let go. It's like having a gold mine and then like throwing a bag of money out of the window. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I get where you're coming from, and we'll move on from this because we got to get out of here. First, we got to give you our season predictions. So, and we'll, we're going to do over unders next week, so we'll end up talking about Justin Fields a little more. Um, I, my point in this is like I would not, I would hope that like the fact that he transferred would not cloud people's analysis of Justin Fields, evaluation of Justin Fields. I would treat him honestly. I would treat him almost like you would treat a true freshman. And certainly, you're going to have trepidation about playing a true freshman. I'm not. I'm not saying you shouldn't have trepidations about that. You know, Trevor Lawrence is the anomaly. True freshmen don't normally do what he did last year. Although Justin Fields, at one point, compared compared favorably to Trevor Lawrence, according to people who do those things. Um, I would just say, don't assume that he's bad, or don't assume that he's not up to the task, only because he didn't beat out but Jake this, Fromm last year. This is year. the thing. Nobody's saying he's going to be bad. I think some people I think, think anybody's saying he's going to be bad. I think some people expect Ohio State to have a down season, something like nine and three, like we were talking about earlier, because Justin Fields is not going to be ready to play. Yeah, I don't, I don't view it that way. So the way, you know, I, I might not be as high on him as as you. I don't think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy this I year. I think he might win it in two years. But uh, I also just think that it's going to be a process. Sure. Uh, I think it's going to be a, like a longer process sure. than putting a ready-made freak athlete on the field. Like I think, because even if you go back to Braxton Miller as a freshman, he did crazy things as a freshman. Yeah, he also had a terrible team, terrible offense around him. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say terrible. He didn't have good receivers. I just think that it's just, we're going to know what he's about in the first six weeks of the season. And I don't think it's going to be the ready-made package that people thought it would be based on his recruiting profile. That's my only thing. Yeah, I think he'll have to grow into it for sure. And, and I think the plan would be that the offense grows around him with that. But I think Ohio State has too much talent around him and too too many good offensive coaches with Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Mike Yersich for Justin Fields to look if, lost. If you think he's going to be bad, you're nuts. I don't think I, – yeah. but I, I don't even think he's going to look lost. I think, he's, I, I think he's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to set the world on fire in his first year. I think he's going to be fine, and you're going to see, like, year two, like, look out. This kid's going to be really good. But I'm I'm not – the, the season, I think, largely rests on Justin Field's shoulders, and I don't think that's going to be too much for him to handle. Ohio State's won a lot of games with a bunch of different types of quarterbacks, and I anticipate that will continue. All right. So I teased you we were going to talk about Urban Meyer on television. We'll get to that uh, in the show later in the week because we got to wrap up here in a little bit. We want to get our season predictions on the table. Uh, Win-loss record, who you think they're going to lose to unless you think they're going to go 12-0, whether or not you think Ohio State will go to the Big Ten Championship and win it, and whether or not you think they'll make the college football playoff, I'll let you go first. He always lets me go first. I think they're going to go 11-1, and um, and I don't think they're going to lose to a bad team. And I don't know who they're going to lose to yet, but I think they're either going to lose to Michigan State at home or Penn State on the road. Um, I think that everybody likes to make Michigan, this is the year, the year for what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Just a little tease for next week's episode. Um, but I will not, and I refuse to predict that Michigan will win that game until they do it now. Because yep. last year I was convinced that they were going to win. I went on record saying there's no way Ohio State's going to win this game, and then I look like an asshole. So I, you know, that could happen. It's a losable game. It's on the road. Jim Harbaugh, I cannot imagine the pressure that that guy's under to win this football game this year. But I can't imagine. I think Ohio State has a, still has a huge talent gap on them. Um, they might be playing for a spot in the college football playoff at that point. I will not predict Michigan to win. I think Ohio State will play um, Nebraska in the Big Ten Championship in a rematch. And um, I think they'll beat them twice next year or this year and go to the playoff. 
Welcome to the uh, Ohio State Homers podcast because I also have Ohio State going eleven to one. It's just hard to pick them to Look, lose if you three. Have, it's if hard to pick them to lose three games. Like I'll, like I've said it before, like I'll listen to it, but I just I think it's kind of crazy. And it's certainly within the realm of possibility. So like I'll it let is, you finish, but yeah, you know, it it's they haven't lost three games in a year in almost a decade. So like picking them to lose and three the last games time it happened was under crazy circumstances. Yeah, and the yeah. last time it happened, the entire team fell apart because of things that happened off the field. No, granted, like so, I think it's it's worth pointing out that the Big Ten's a little different now than it has been in the last yeah. whatever. But um, but they don't play a, a marquee non-conference game. So you, can, so you can take the Oklahoma loss from last year or a few whatever two, two years ago, excuse me, and you can you can avoid that. And mm-hmm. maybe it'd be easier to pick ten and two if they played Clemson in week three. But they don't play I, I cannot imagine them losing three games to teams that don't have as good players. Three times. It could happen once, it could maybe even happen twice. It's an, I, I cannot envision it happening three times. And if it happens three times, like we said earlier in the episode, it's a dumpster fire. Go ahead. So I have them going eleven to one. I think they're going to lose at home to Penn State. I think having to play Penn State and Michigan back to back is really difficult. Um, I get like Nebraska is like sort of a trendy upset pick. I just don't know if Nebraska's defense is going to be up to that task. I think it could end up being a shootout. Uh, I, I would pick Ohio State to win that game at least right now. If you ask me again after they play a couple of games, maybe I'll change my mind. The game's at the end of September, um, but but I think they're going to beat or sorry lose to Penn State, go eleven and one. They'll beat Michigan. They'll get to the Big Ten Championship, even though I have them losing a division game. I think Penn State's got a really tough schedule um, in the middle of the season. They play Purdue, Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State all in a row. Uh, the Iowa game and I think the Michigan State game are on the road. I could certainly see Penn State losing two of those games. And then even though they beat Ohio State, they don't have enough win- – they don't have a, the record to get into Indianapolis ahead of Ohio State. And then Ohio State beats Michigan and gets back there. Um, I think – I wrote down my predictions earlier in the year. I think I have Ohio State beating Nebraska as well in the Big Ten Championship, and I do. Th- I think they're going to get the playoff. I think eleven one Big Ten champ without an albatross of a loss and, and losing, a, yeah. losing to Penn State is is a good loss. Assuming you don't get your ass kicked like it's been because last year's years. scenario. I don't want people to think if you go eleven and one, you're out. There were three undefeated teams. That last was year. a very weird season. The way everything played out. Yeah. Um, now Clemson, and Clemson will probably undefeated. I think it's certainly possible that Alabama. And but those Georgia. two are getting in no matter what. So regardless of whether or not they're undefeated, undefeated is one thing. Um, I do think that the one-loss Big Ten champ, if it was left out for the third year in a row, the Big Ten champion, that would be a problem. Yeah, maybe Jim Delaney would. And Jim Delaney might return. It, like, while it's happening, not after yeah. the fact. Yeah, well, it made for a good story in, uh, <laughs> in the middle of July. Um, anyway. But I also wanted to say before we go, I think Wisconsin is going to be better than people think. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. He picked the wrong quarterback. I have a very, very – yeah, but I think that that is going to change. Um, and I have a very hard time jumping on the Nebraska train. And I kind of did yeah. by putting them in. in yeah. It's like year two of Scott Frost. It's like – and I know Nebraska played Ohio State close at home last year, but Ohio State beat them like 100 nothing two years ago. It was, the it was like 63-7 to seven two years in a row. The, the, the entire stadium empty. They let their balloons go. They quit. <laughs> they just left. And I, so you're telling me I know Scott Frost in year two is always like the big deal, and I know coaching goes a long way. I'm not acting like it doesn't, but he's got the best quarterback to, in the Big Ten too. Yeah, but okay. At least right now he does. Yeah. Yeah. To predict them to win the Big Ten right now and to beat Ohio State, it's just let it happen. I I don't like being one of these guys who likes to predict crazy things and then when you're right, just tell the world I told you so. I'd rather pick the safe, reasonable stuff, and then if it's wrong, then react to it when it happens. It's not as fun, but I like realism better. So High State's going to the playoff. You and I have that, which means they're going to yeah. lose four games. They're going to go eight and four, and uh, 
Matt Campbell's. I think they have a good schedule. I think they have a good roster. I think they have a scheming coach who everything that Ohio State did um, with Ryan Day was to follow the Lincoln Riley plan. Lincoln Riley went in his first year. I think that Baker Mayfield. uh, Yeah. yeah. Well, Justin Fields is the most athletic quarterback of all time. So it's true. Um, I think it's. I think that that would be the bet. Uh, if I had to put money on it, that they would go. I don't think they're going to go twelve and zero. But yeah, if you said no, they're not going to go twelve. If you, if you laid out three scenarios: eleven and one, ten and two, nine and three. I think I think eleven and one is the most likely of those three scenarios. Yeah, that's a really tricky over under ten and a half. That's the point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Really? That's why I don't, <laughs> why I don't gamble. Play the slots, everybody. That's can't. why he doesn't gamble. He just likes to lose guaranteed instead of having can't a chance lose. to win. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wrap up there. Uh, again, uh, thanks for listening to the first episode here of uh, 4 to 6 with A and B. Uh, wait, you want something to say something I want else? to say one other thing. Go ahead. Um, I know these are shorter than they used to be, um, but we're going to do them more often. I just wanted to thank everybody for their patience. Uh, I know that... You know, when's the podcast coming has been the number one comment on Ohio State stories since the athletic opened its doors. And um, we're happy we're here to do this. And um, I know Landis and I have worked well together and we're, we're, we're just happy you guys are patient. We hope that you enjoy this podcast. Any suggestions that you have? Um, and I'll let Bill get into his final spiel. But just wanted to thank you for, for staying patient and, and, you know, enjoying our work. We, we enjoy giving it to you. And um, it's just a lot of fun. So thank you. That was sappy. That was sappy. But I agree. But we appreciate you. Yeah. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast on the Athletic app. Theathletic.com backslash 4-6 will get you 40% off if you're not already subscribed. And then we'll give you our full playoff picks uh, on Friday so you can tell us how dumb we are in December. We'll see you guys then.